They were the heroes from the future. Teenagers protecting the universe from those that would sow the seeds of chaos. Each had unique powers and abilities. And though they often had their differences, they came together to save the day as the Legion of Superheroes. Now you can be a part of their adventures and learn the history of the future in the Legion Clubhouse. This week on the Legion Clubhouse, we are going to meet someone who has uh, many layers. He's got uh, many multitudes. He contains an infinite amount of man. So he's Shrek? Superboy and the Legion of Superheroes, number 233. The Infinite Man Who Conquered the Legion. Published November 1977. Written by Paul Levitz with art by James Sherman. Synopsis. Who is the Infinite Man? So here we are into, wow, we are all the way up to the Legion of Superheroes. Gosh, what, what issue are we up to now? 233? 233, but then again, we didn't start at one, so I mean, we officially no, started all Legion at 200, I think, and then yeah. there were a few issues before that. But yeah, we're we're good three years into the Bronze Age Legion era. And we're, we're full into the Paul Levitz era of writing, but I do yep. have a question about how some of the art is done in this issue. Not that I have a problem yes. with the art, but yes. the first two pages of this issue are yes. very different in terms of coloring because we are introduced to the Scalarians who are wearing just this like deep maroon. It would almost look black except all of the reflections uh, give off this very, very deep maroon uh, color. And then the sky is a black and white zipatone and all of the other colors are really muted on the page. And that goes on for like uh, the first two pages of this issue. And then it kind of, it still stays relatively dark as far as colors go, as far as the muted colors go, because there's not a lot of bright colors. In fact, even Wildfire, uh, many pages later, his suit is very muted compared to the rest of the issues. So I'm, I'm just curious if we know if this was uh, something going on with printing at the time. I do remember there was an issue back in this day where they were going from a, in fact, they think they mentioned in one of the um, uh, letters pages that they were switching from a metal plating to a plastic plating to do their printing and the ink uh, didn't absorb right or was doing some things that they weren't expecting. And yeah, so they were telling people to just kind of like, eh, you know, kind of deal with it. It is, it is a printing issue thing uh, from our printer, but instead of raising the cost to a buck 25, we decided to, uh, to just release it as is. Well, there are a couple of things going on. This particular issue is actually colored by Liz Ruby, who uh, was actually at the time, primarily on dc's uh uh hor not horror uh love books she was on the romance titles young love young romance girls romances all of that stuff so for a long time she had been doing kind of a more subtle coloring than you'd see in the four color books the zipatone is actually uh something that the artist would put in they actually had sheets of it that they would cut and paste in mm -hmm. back in the 70s mm -hmm. so um, Sherman, James Sherman, who drew this issue is kind of being really experimental and rather than what we normally get, uh, from the inking of Jack Abel, we're getting a really subtle ink from Bob Wyacek. Yeah. So it's a, it's, there's a number of different things here. And I think most of what you're seeing is actually going to come down to the printer 
But there are some moments in here where Sherman is clearly going nuts with the experimental stuff, and he's trying different angles. Uh, there's a particular shot that I love that's reflected in the windows or the front uh, facing of Legion headquarters, where you see the Legionnaires in a reflection as Dream Girl runs out to meet Starboy. Yeah, there's it's a, yeah. a really, really neat shot. Yeah, and there's also some reflections in Wildfire's uh, helmet. Those kinds of things are very yeah. neat in this. But yeah, we start this issue off with basically if anyone has played Overwatch and you've done one of those missions where you're riding up on top of the uh, the crate carrier and you're trying to defend off the other team. That's kind of like what the opening pages are, because the Legion are trying to get the uh, this time device to Legion headquarters and they're attacked by the Skylarians. Uh, which uh, this is the first time we've oh. met the Skylarians in uh, the Legion clubhouse. And I'm going to yes. guess also the first time we've met them in the pages of comic books. This is their first appearance. It won't be their last. Uh, and it, assuming we get far enough along, eventually Asklarian actually becomes a member of the Legion in one of the future stories. But the thing that's weird about them is that their story, their backstory changes subtly. Mm. Mm-hmm. Each time we see them and eventually they end up being uh, yellow skinned aliens with kind of pale blue hair. Mm, okay. And all the Sklarians have that. But at this point, they are just kind of Buck Rogers girls. Yeah, they're they're really retro in their uniforms. Now, of course, they're leotards with bikini bottoms and mm-hmm. long sleeve leotard tops. And then they've got these uh, strap on helmets that let their platinum blonde hair flow out behind them. But this dark maroon and gold trim kind of thing does look really cool as far as a costume goes. Uh, I'm not sure about practicality. Of course, we always talk about practicality with uh, characters like uh, Red Sonja and Vampirilla. And so I wonder, as the Scalarians are swinging in with their laser pistols at the ready, uh, just how a bare midriff and uh, exposed uh, upper thighs uh, really work well for them, unless it's to distract these teenagers. Well, I mean, they come from the planet Danskin, uh, which is in the Lycra galaxy. And on their home planet, everyone dresses. You can stop me at any time. I'm just making this up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I've already edited all this out. Don't worry about it. Oh, thanks. I appreciate that. But you all are my right. Best stuff. There is a lot of once they finally get through that portion of the game and they make it to Legion headquarters, then this this book really turns into the the time travel stuff that everyone was expecting from the moment of time machines showing up. And you're right, there is some really cool art in here. I also love that as soon as they're showing up, and we do have that brilliant panel that shows the reflections in the sliding glass door uh, with Dream Girl coming out and saying, oh, I knew you guys were going to have trouble, but I didn't know what trouble you were going to have. Wildfire turns into colossal uh, bag of dicks here uh, as he finally, and, and really, I'm surprised it took this many issues for someone to finally call out Dream Girl's kind of lame powers because he's like, oh, yes, this is exactly uh, what we expect from Dream Girl. Uh, a premonition, but actually, in the end, no real accuracy. That is cold. That is cold. And that also made me start to think about what does Wildfire sound like inside of his his capsule? And I kind of figured out that it, it's it's got to be almost a mechanical-like voice uh, because he doesn't actually have vocal cords or anything like that. And so I kind of figured that he's kind of got a little flangey going on the edges of his of his voice. But it's basically like, as usual, Dream Girl's ability left something to be desired. <laughs> Accuracy. So you think he's voiced by Corey Taylor. 
Maybe, yeah, but well, it's just Taylor, very uh, flat. The other guy. Kind of flat, and the inflections tend to be in the wrong place, and it's just got that little bit of, of flange going on to it. Uh, that's how I think Wildfire sounds now going forward. You know, just because he is so methodical and so just cutting without emotion, you know, he's just getting right to it. He's got zero tact, and that does come up a couple of times in this issue about well, why is Wildfire in charge of this team? Well, he was voted, but uh, you see, this is the thing. I always go with the Christopher Bird theory in my head. Wildfire's voice is Will Smith, hmm. a really, really animated Will Smith because welcome he to has Earth. No bo- yeah, he has I am no the wildfire. He, so he's all like, yeah, get some. Why doesn't he want me anymore? Uncle Phil, you know, that emotion I feel like is the only thing that wildfire has. So in my mind, Wildfire has a super emotive voice that's just like, yeah, but he's also very brash and yeah. very offensive and kind of a jerk. And mm-hmm. the, you know, the, we we actually see this a couple of times. Oh, more than a couple of it. times. We see him we and see uh, Timberwolf are both this way. Jerks. Yeah. Well, yeah. And that's, that's Levitz. I mean, Levitz is trying to differentiate each character based on what we've seen from them before, which is why we see you know, dream girl in this issue being kind of weirdly obsessed with her boyfriend. Mm-hmm. And we have these moments where you're just like, okay, here's phantom girl. She's the classic nice girl. Wildfire is kind of the jerk. Superboy is the, you know, the guy who is, he knows he's the big man on campus, but he tries not to be a jerk about it. You're seeing some stuff that's actually going to keep going at, at least in, you know, Levitt's written comics for decades, which yeah, if you're, gonna, if you're going to have 23 different Legionnaires, yeah. beyond just the individual power, which coming up in the next issue, we're going to talk about powers, um, you do need to give them personality so that they do stand out. And you do want to try to differentiate Wildfire from Sunboy, uh, from Timberwolf, uh, because if you give them all the same voice, they're essentially the same character, so... And we've seen a lot of that in the Legion. A lot of the stories have been kind of interchangeable or characters interchangeable. You know, how many times have we seen the, oh my gosh, I'm the weak link on the team. Mm-hmm. Or if I, I mean, we just saw it a couple of months ago with the death of Chemical King, but we saw it with Matter Eater Lad, with Bouncing Boy, with Duo Damsel. We see it with Lightning Lass sometimes. You see these really weird moments recurring. So even though I'm not necessarily a fan of wildfire as a big, angry crank, it does make him stand out. And that sort of angry bullheaded, you know, he is an antithesis, belligerent wildfire. I like that. He is an antithesis to Superboy. Yes. And he wants to believe that he is as powerful or more. And that's part of what makes him fun as this big bullheaded jerk in the shiny mask. Yeah. Oh, hey, Ron Vidar is back. Little Lord Fauntleron, as I like to call him, because, man, he needs to dr- get out of that vest. He needs he needs to just <laughs> go to the store and buy some jeans and well, maybe, they, maybe a T-shirt, a Devo hat, something. This is the problem that I have. I, I don't have a problem with Ron Vidar. I think he's totally cool. I'm totally fine with him. He is the master of time, supposedly. Space intervention. But he makes a weird comment in here where he's saying, and with luck, it'll finally enable me to test the theory that time is a, is, has circular flow and that we can finally unlock the secrets of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they also say something to the effect that they haven't licked time. 
Uh, and yet they've created the time bubble, the time cube. Superboy is able to travel to and from the past under his own powers and ability. Yes. I don't know what he means by haven't licked time, meaning fully understand time. Because if time licking time is we can travel to and from uh, the past and the future, then I'd say they've already licked it. See, I don't know. I feel like being able to travel is a first step, but we've seen a lot. Uh, and in a month or two, we're going to see another big time travel mishap. We see things happening where they clearly don't have a lot of control. You see moments where we're running into stories where, oh gosh, how do we make sure that bad things aren't happening in the past? How, the you know the episode where the four legionnaires were hiding in Smallville in 1966 and couldn't go out for fear of changing the time stream. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering if he's referring to more of a mastery of time to where they don't have to worry about paradoxes and strange it's, things. And it's almost as though Ron Vidar and the science police need, need to team up to create a time cop scenario. Oh wait, the time, time cop's already been stolen by somebody else. So, Right, yeah, I think uh, Mike Nesmith did that. We also get introduced to a Jackson Rugarth, and all I can think of is Hogarth. Who names their kid Hogarth? Well, I mean, it's a good futuristic name. It sounds like it might be a real person. Jackson, Jackson Rugarth. Rugarth. I mean, I know uh, my good friend Brian, uh, he named his son Jackson. So Jackson isn't an uncommon name, I guess. But Jackson Rugarth just sounds like, oh, this guy's destined to have some bad things happen to him. Well, and, you know, that uh, is what happens. I mean, he volunteers or is volunteered, maybe uh, voluntold that he's going to be a part of the time experiment. And he gets stuck in time, space and dimension for eternity. And he comes out because uh, this is very important. Infinite power always means a cool headdress. You look at Galactus. You look at the living monolith. You look at all these guys. The infinite man comes out and he has this elaborate headdress and see through legs for some reason. And he has the power of time itself. Yeah, I'm not sure. You know, because we talked before that Ron Vidar is trying to prove that time is a is is circular, that mm -hmm. it'll just repeat on itself, repeat and repeat and repeat. And of course, that goes back to some theories that Einstein says that if you're, you know, the way that the space time is curved, that if you go far enough, you'll actually loop back onto yourself um, and, and continue on to that. So I can see you know, where they're going with this. Mm -hmm. The time as a flat circle is actually popularized by Nietzsche, Frederick Nietzsche, uh, the mm -hmm. philosopher who is basically looking at eternal recurrence. Why do people continually make the same mistakes over and over again? Now, in Nietzsche's case, he's not talking about reincarnation, although a lot of people would say that you're reincarnated to relive your mistakes over and try to correct them so you can be better in the next life. Right. Um, but, um, the he problem more I, of a nihilist, he just wants you to suffer. <laughs> the problem that I have with this is that we don't know what the mistake was that Ron Vidar did with this time capsule because yes. the infinite man comes back and he's like, ah, I was forced to relive all of uh, time again and again and again and again. Does that mean that Ron Vidar set the dial to like four loops instead of one loop? Did he set it to the sideways eight instead of the regular eight? Because I thought that this whole process of this was supposed to be one trip uh, through time. And somehow the infinite man, even though he was gone for just a blink of a second, he has come back and said that I have lived through time an infinite number of, of uh, for all eternities. And that has made me powerful. And it's like, okay, that doesn't, that doesn't jive with what the experiment was. And he doesn't explain 
-hmm. what went wrong. So unless we're going to get that answer in some future date when the infinite man returns, I'm not sure that that part of the story makes a whole lot of sense. Yeah. I think the thing about Rugarth is that first of all, the writer here is kind of vamping a bit when it comes to, you know, the temporal mechanics and that's fine. It's a comic book from 1978, but I, to my knowledge, Jackson Rugarth does not make a lot of appearances. I know of at least three, but there aren't more than seven or eight. I mean, he's a pretty cool character. He can reach into the time stream and pluck things out at a moment's notice and uh, give all sorts of havoc to, Uh, The Legion, at one point, he brings back dinosaurs because apparently dinosaurs are still really popular. And that does bring up a question. Mm -hmm. Do we know what religious belief system Paul Levitz has? No. Uh, The name Levitz makes me think it might be Judaism. Well, the only reason I ask is because Superboy is punching a Tyrannosaurus Rex in the face. And he says, this is insane. These dinosaurs have been extinct for thousands of years. And that is a very creationist, uh, you know, the literal translation of the Bible that, you know, the, the world is 5,000 years old and dinosaurs and man walked together at the same time. And so yeah. for Superboy to, to espouse that dinosaurs have been extinct for thousands of years instead of millions upon millions of years was just very jarring to me. Now, maybe in 1977, they didn't know that uh, kids were smart and they just thought all kids were dumb and they could just say thousands of years. Uh, I don't know if this is around the same time that Ringo's uh, 20 million BC had come out, but that should have also (laughs) given the writer a clue that it's not thousands of years. It's millions of years. Well, technically millions of years is still thousands of years. I mean, it's just thousands thousands. upon thousands of years, but I was was Um, deeply disturbed by that in a comic book that has in the past tried to share some real science. I think that um, it's just uh, in an indelicate statement. It's not specific enough. Mm-hmm. I don't, th- I, I really think that you're reading something into it with a modern context, especially in terms of people who literally say that, yeah, you know, dinosaurs didn't exist or they only existed 2000 years ago, whatever it is. Yeah. And that's but why I brought I it up. Like it's, it's just one of those moments where, you know, they didn't necessarily do their research. They threw in a line and it sounded fine and they went with it. I do like colossal boy fighting with a giant T-Rex though. That is pretty cool. Yeah, I feel like it would be better for me if there weren't so many dinosaurs in here that aren't actually dinosaurs. At one point, there's something that looks remarkably like a winged dragon. And I'm just like, yeah, yeah like a pterodactyl. An, yeah, that's a future alien. Oh, OK. Thing. It actually looks like a Chinese dragon. It's this, you know, weird, long, elongated thing with the mm-hmm. wings and the neck and the, the foin leuven. So I've got a, I've got another problem with this issue. Why is the infinite man so irate? We know that there was a problem with the experiment, but Rugarth, Hogarth Hughes Mm -hmm. did volunteer for this experiment. And he knew that death was a possibility or some craziness was a possibility. So why does he come back also grumpy? Well, um, the story states that he went mad and 1978's take on, mental illness and madness would be arg. I'm a crazy, crazy Guggenheim and I'm going to kill everything in sight. Mm-hmm. Um, I, he blames, he clearly blames Ron for what happened. Right. And I'm not entirely sure why necessarily, unless he sees something that we don't, but well, that's also what I'm, at the end, that's what I'm wondering about. Was there a problem? He mentions there's a problem with the experiment, but 
Was it that he set it to eight and, you know, the infinite, the sideways eight instead of the regular eight? And that's where the problem occurred. Now, this one goes to 11. That's what it was. He set it to 11. Um, honestly, I don't know. And I don't know that a clear uh, explanation other than Rugarth kept cycling through time and eventually went insane is ever given. But it should be noted that at the end of this issue, Rond is like, we have to work to try and save him and fix it at some point. And they never do. That's a spoiler, but, you know, well, much I like figured the that it was a situation. I figured they had a double-sized issue or something that they were trying to fill here with this story, and That's they exactly had to do something, so. This is a 60-cent double-sized issue still, so, you know, there's a lot of stuff in here. And honestly, even in comparison to some of the not-so-great stories we've been seeing, I really enjoyed this issue more than any in a long time. Oh, yeah, this was very fascinating. There's a lot of stuff going on here. Uh, I know you made a note that you really dug the the art in this, or at least the layouts in this. Yes, there's a couple of what I think of as Watchmen transitions in this what is, issue. What is a Watchmen, Watchmen? What's a Watchmen transition for people who are not uh, who are not down on your your line of thinking? There's a point in Watchmen where somebody is like, oh, no, we're in over our head. And then they transition immediately to someone who's, you know, up to their neck in water. Mm. Or you'll see moments where thematically you'll see like Night Owl's symbol in the background and you'll cut to something else that looks visually identical. Mm. That happens here because Starboy is having some issues. Starboy is on um, Dreamgirl's home planet where we find that adults are useless. And they do a close-up of Starboy nervously messing with his flight oh, ring. Oh, sure, yeah. Which cuts to Brainiac 5 nervously messing with his flight ring somewhere else on Kolu. It's a mm -hmm. really, really nice thematic transition where you see this shot. Very cinematic. You see Starboy. You almost push in on the hands. And then you see them pull out. And it's not Starboy's white-gloved hand anymore. It's Brainiac's green hand. It's a really neat shot. And there's a couple of those in here. That I feel really work for me. Oh, no, there's just, yeah, there's a lot of this with James Sherman doing the art. There's a lot of uh, foreground background elements as far as staging goes. There's very good composition. Uh, I, you know, just the fact that, you know, if you blink and you miss it, like we said in the opening pages where Dream Girl is coming out and we see both the front and the back at the same time, although nicely Sherman did place Dream Girl's hand covering her own behind so that we don't get a gratuitous butt shot in that. Then two right. panels later, we get to see a gratuitous butt shot. But well, regardless, shiny he's doing he's doing all of this. And I think the layouts in this are really, really cool. Uh, the one that I really like, the, the panel that I really like, is at one point, the Infinite Man punches Superman and sends him flying uh, immeasurable distances away. The Boy of Steel journeys suddenly ends, uh, you know, millions are in, I don't know if he's in different dimensions or if he's in different time periods or whatever it is. But he is flying back as fast as he can to mm -hmm. rejoin the battle. And we see all of these different, what I'm going to say is different timelines or different time periods. And they mm -hmm. would occupy, uh, you know, about a fourth of a, a, a width of a page, right? Each one. But as Superboy is flying through them, they're actually warping and ripping into the next dimension. And yeah, so you I like get this tearing through pages yeah, of a comic book. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's really, really cool. I was just like, ah, that is really neat. We don't see that often enough when a superhero is doing something really super or really extraordinary. Really visual, too. You know, we yeah. see a lot of Superboy flying through the concentric rings of time, mm -hmm. but we don't see a visual representation of what it feels like or looks like to him. And it's yeah. really cool. 
There's also a scene where uh, Infinite Man like completely unleashes his powers, and you see the Legionnaires warping. In the foreground, mm-hmm. Starboy is just sort of melting yeah. and stretching away, and it's so disturbing, but it's also really neat looking. Yeah, going back into you know some of the experimental things that are kind of going on, I don't know how experimental it is, but again, Sherman is using reflections a lot in here to mm-hmm. create a sense of isolation and detachment for wildfire because there's times where he sees lightning lad and, and uh, Starboy, um, you know, having conversations about what a jerk, uh, that he is. And we just see his, him watching them have this conversation in the reflection of his visor. And because we can't see expressions, we kind of get a Hal 9000 reaction going on here where it's very detached. You don't know what's going on. You know that he is not really because of his unique situation. He's not really a quote unquote person. And so he has these problems that the others can't understand. And he sits there thinking to himself, uh, you know, is it is it me or is it the Legion that has gone uh, astray? No, it is the Legion. Uh, It is not me. Uh, but we do get that throughout the issue, which I find very, very cool. We just see Colossal Boy smacking the Infinite Man in the face and cracking his uh, his helmet. We get yep. to see uh, Wildfire just basically saying, hey, look, if there's a battle, I'm sending the weakest people away. I'm sending Brainiac away. I'm sending Dream Girl away. I'm sending Phantom Girl away. And they each come back with their own unique parts of the story, which does feel a little fillerish, especially when it comes to the Phantom Girl and to Dream Girl. Mm. Uh, but the Brainiac sequences are really well drawn out as well. Very well done. Yeah, and I, I kind of like the Legion going around the universe to try and find help or to try and find assistance with the strange situation they're in. That's neat to me. I don't like that they are starting to foreground contextualize the idea that only the Legionnaires who punch really hard should be allowed to be in the field. Well, and and that's kind of what they want here, right? I mean, I understand that that is not a good thing to get across and does bring into question, well, if wildfire is only thinking with might instead of the mind, then that maybe does show that he's probably time for another election. But it does give Rond a, a, a moment to use some stuff that Brainiac has said to cause the infinite man to go, no, you should not be able to punch me. I will be back when I have gained enough power and can take you all on. And then he vaporizes away. He's trapped in an endless time loop. Yeah. Until the crisis on infinite earth and then bad things happen to him. But yeah. it, I have to say it is a really, really good overall issue. I yeah. feel like even with any weaknesses that we have, I like this very you good know, issue. Very strong. There's a point where they misspell millennium really, really badly. And I'm like, that's the least of it. M-I-L-L-E-N-N-I-M-M-N-N. And I'm just like, what? No, it's fine. It's a good issue. Uh, but it does reiterate that adults are useless. Of course. And it does, you know, it does give us that beautiful shot of infinite man standing in front of these weird, twisted time dimensions where there's like. Yeah, where he's outside of time space. The Wright brothers and the Sphinx and alien spaceships and something that I think is the Starship Enterprise with the mumps is all behind him. And it's great. It's such a great looking issue that I don't necessarily think about uh, some of the negatives that will actually pop up again later. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very good issue. Very fun. Very fun.
If you enjoy the show, we would appreciate your support. You can find out more and become a Legion Clubhouse member at patreon.com slash major spoilers. So before we get into the next issue, I wanted to dive into a couple of things that uh, that I thought was very interesting. At one point, as I mentioned earlier in this episode, uh, someone's going on about how there's like a weird color shift in one of the costumes. And DC Editorial was responding back in the letters, basically saying, hey, man, uh, look, uh, this printer that we use was going from a metal plating process to, you know, transfer the ink onto paper. They decided to try this plastic process. It didn't soak up the ink right, or it was soaking up the ink very differently. And so that's why there's this printing issue. Oftentimes we at editorial don't even get to see the color copies before it goes out because we're working with black and whites. And by the time we did notice it, if we did want to go and send this back and get the the color corrected, we would have had to have raised the price to $1.25 an issue. And there's no way you would want to pay $1.25 for a comic. Because what's really funny is they just recently went and raised the price on a lot of these comics to 60 cents. We're right at the part where DC is having its expansion, where it is raising the cost of comics, but also offering a lot more pages. But I find this funny that... You know, within 20 years, by the time we're in the 80s, there are comics that are a buck 25. And as of this recording, we have comics. It's not uncommon for comics now to have a 599 cover price. Yeah, the buck 25 price point would have come in around 83 or 84 when DC started doing their Baxter quality uh, and Legion was one of them, their Baxter quality books. So uh, I know the Legion and the Teen Titans were relaunched with new number ones in the Baxter books for a buck and a quarter when the regular books were a dollar. And I, I want to say Vigilante and Thriller and some of their higher profile books would all be a dollar and a quarter within three or four years of this issue. Well, yeah. five or six years, I guess I should yeah, say. Yeah, it's very close. It's very close yeah. to where we're going to be at. Uh, also in the backup pages, I'm going to read the opening little bit of this and then, oh and then just read. Dear editor, here I sit, typewriter poised, ready to issue another of my scathing reviews and generally be a colossal bore with my usual sighings over Jim Shooter's departure. <laughs> oh, wait. Here I sit, typewriter posed, poised, ready to issue another of my scathing reviews and generally be a colossal bore with my usual sighings over Jim Shooter's departure. But wait, before you throw this letter into the wastebasket, I'm not going to do that this time. Oh, man. Who wrote... This, Matthew, just by that opening paragraph, what would you think based on what we know today? Because, again, we're going to apply what we know today to the past. Is this a is this a guy writing this? (laughs) Would you imagine that it's a man sitting there going, comics just weren't used to be what they used to be. And I wish it would return to that. Bring back Jim Shooter, the comic book man. Uh, I would say in terms of 2020s comics, I would expect it to be a male. But thinking about 78, especially Legion fans, I would say a 50-50 chance, to be honest. Yeah, no, this is from Beth uh, Montelone. Montelone? I don't know. She's from New York. But I was really surprised. I, I started reading this and I was like, oh, great. We know these kind of people. They're on Twitter all the time yelling and screaming about how comics never are good anymore. They're never like they used to be. And then I look down at the bottom, like, wow, this is something that's very different. This is something that we don't normally see is having someone really go off on. Oh, I'm, I'm writing another one of my scathing letters to you uh, this time, though. It's with praise. And then it's like, oh, OK, Beth. Well, that's very, very interesting. And. Like you said, thinking back to the time period, Legion of Superheroes was super, super popular. 
yes. loved by both uh, men and women alike. Mm-hmm. And I think it was the last episode of Legion Clubhouse, I want to say, when we did the JLA JSA crossover yes. and needing to try to explain who all the Legion members were. And I kind of said, well, I bet anyone who is reading JLA JSA already know who the Justice League or the uh, Legion of Superheroes are, because I'm going to bet that Superboy or in the Legion have more issues than Justice League and JLA. And our good friend Legion Omnicom mm-hmm. tweeted at us. He says, you ask, I answer. In 1977, Superboy and the Legion of Superheroes sold 185,000 copies, while Justice League of America sold 152,000 average per issue, according to the statement of ownership. So, you know, more than likely, everyone who's reading Justice League is probably also reading Superboy and the Legion of Superheroes. Yep. Also, by I, comparison, mm-hmm. uh, in 1977, Batman was selling 168,000, so Legion of Superheroes, more popular than Batman. Mm-hmm. Superman comics, 235, 235,000. So, you know, Superboy's still the big, or Superman's still the big draw, so more people would know who Superman is than the Legion of Superheroes. X-Men, though, only 124,000 copies. Fantastic Four, 195,000 copies. Spider-Man, more popular than Superman at this time, 282,000. And Avengers, 168,000 copies. So I'm going to say that a lot of people know who the heck the Legion of Superheroes members are. So to have them show up in a Justice League JSA crossover uh, wouldn't be a surprise. And I don't think you'd have a lot of people scratching their heads wondering who these characters are. Yeah, it makes me wonder if maybe the intention wasn't for the Legion to boost JLA sales after all. It might be. Superboy and the Legion of Superheroes, number 234. Wanted, dead or alive, the composite Legionnaire. Published September 1977. Written by Jerry Conway with art by Rick Estrada. Synopsis. A mysterious explosion merges four legionnaires into one. Can the team stop them without killing them? We are into our final story uh, this this uh, episode. The final story. The final story. The Composite Legionnaire. If it works for Composite Superman, it's got to work again with the Composite Legionnaire. And I said, what about Composite Legionnaire? So the interesting thing is, a couple of issues ago, we were talking about space politics with Shrinking Violet and the rest of the Imskins and why they wanted to expand their um, hunting territory. And we find out here because uh, there's a bunch of people who want to hunt down these dragons and kill them. And uh, Shrinking Violet's like, no, 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 no. We just want to incapacitate them because our shrinking powers, and we really find out in this issue, this is really interesting. We really find out the origin story of everyone on the planet. I I guess Imsk, but the Imskins. Um, We really find out how their powers are derived. Apparently they went to this planet. They were seeking refuge. They traveled long and far through the desert for 40 days and 40 nights before they finally came upon this planet and they found that it was good. Uh, There was manna aplenty and they set up their civilization there. And then like a decade later, all of a sudden the planet started to shrink and uh, thousands died because, you know, it was just. Everything else but the Imskians were shrinking, so they couldn't feed themselves. The atmosphere was getting too thin. A bunch of them died until one day a scientist discovered this ore that's on the planet 
that could be used to shrink the Imskians down to that size. Mm-hmm. And we kind of learned that's where they kind of get their shrinking powers from. We also learned that the shrinking powers are not permanent. So every so often they have to regenerate. They have to re-shrink themselves. They have to get a new inoculation to this uh, horrible growth thing that they have growing on. Mm-hmm. And they've discovered that there are these space dragons, space dragons, man. Space dragons. I will have to come back to space dragons another time. But they found mm-hmm. that these space dragons have been eating all of these rocks that have this power. And they realize that if they harvest their scales, that the Imskians can use that instead of their natural resource because the scales will grow back and the, di- and the space uh, dragons are flying around and um, everything will be right with the world if they just, you know, re-inoculize using these, these uh, scales. Right. Which does bring up this weird thing. Yes. Time and time and time again, we have seen Legion uh, people get, or uh, uh, recruits get rejected because they're using a technology for their mm-hmm. power. Is not shrinking violets powers derived from a technology then? I mean, it's a little bit different. You know, your dad throws you into a microwave and cooks you and you become sun boy. It's right. different than you go and crash on a planet and suddenly these, uh, these uh, rhinoceroses with uh, trunks give you lightning powers. But this one seems a little bit maybe flawed in, well, you guys are really using a technology to give yourselves powers. So wouldn't that mean that anybody who steps in front of this shrink ray could get shrinking powers or growing powers? Well, it's not really the shrink ray at this point. Imskians have to use the scales of the dragon to review their, to refill their powers, essentially. Yeah. I would say that it's no less um, of a superpower than, say, Superboy needing to be powered by a yellow sun. Yeah, okay. I, I can feel see like that. it's a power source. And you could, I mean, you could definitely nitpick and make that argument, but I think that the device, specifically uh, like Stormboy wearing the belt that gave him powers, is what's disallowed rather than unusual sources of power. I mean, yeah. the same could be said of Wildfire. Does Wildfire have powers since he was blown up and atomized? Well, see, that's a little yes. bit different because he does gain the power. Same way with the Lightning uh, lightning Lad sure. and, and Light Lass, where they both have gotten their powers and also their brother uh, got their powers, Lightning Lord. Uh, from those uh, elect, uh, the electronic uh, rhinoceroses with with uh, with dr- uh, elephant trunks. Yes, I think that in this case it is an inherent power, but is an inherent power that requires specific fueling or a source. Mm. And I think that it would be it would be allowed under the letter of the law. Okay. All right. All right. What do you think, listeners? Let us know. Podcast at majorspoilers.com, uh, or you can uh, tweet us at uh, Major Spoilers or Legion Clubhouse or Mighty King Cobra, and let us know on that. The other thing that uh, kind of uh, so we get a lot of backstory about the Imskins and Shrinking Violet and why they are trying to expand maybe their their more hunting than space. We ever needed probably probably, but I think it's probably going to set up more of the political conflict and why all this is going on down the road. Mm-hmm. I do get into a little bit of a problem because um, the last time that we were delving into Imskian politics uh, mm-hmm. was when Shrinking Violet was on a space cruise and they were dancing and there was yeah, this floor. Yeah, this big fat guy comes up and starts yelling at Shrinking Violet about how this is all her her fault. Hey, hey, you, you Imskins with your your head, yeah, and your you face, guys, big stupid shrinky powers. Um, I swear that Rick Estrada only knows how to draw one type of fat guy. 
because <laughs> we then cut to this uh, planet somewhere far away where we meet a guy who escaped from prison and has been living on this planet for like 10 years. And I swear the first time I saw him, I was like, oh, this is the same exact guy that was on that that cruise ship. Nope, it's somebody completely different. So I wonder if Rick Estrada only has one type of fat guy that he can draw. Bolding, fat, uh, missing teeth, etc. Well, as someone who fits that description, first of all, let me give you and Rick Estrada the finger. Also, this guy <laughs> is bald. That guy had a Mike Sikowski mop haircut. Mm, so. Okay. I do agree with you. It's very much the same figure and the same facial expression, but mm-hmm. the same facial expression is actually a, a relatively common complaint that I've run into on Estrada's art. I believe during the Karate Kid issues, we pointed out that Iris and uh, Princess Projector basically looked identical. Mm-hmm. Well, that's probably haircuts. why Karate Kid was into into her. But oh, sure, that makes sense. No, I have a I have a bigger question about this issue. Okay. Are you ready? Yeah. So the home team that is not actually the team that goes out into space for space dragons, mm-hmm. uh, it consists of a group of legionnaires, right? Phantom girl, wildfire, chameleon boy, and duplicate boy. Yeah, which I have not seen duplicate boy in a long time. We haven't. And duplicate boy, there's no explanation given for duplicate boy's presence in this story. Right. There's no explanation of, I mean, it's not duplicate boy is not a legionnaire. He has never been a legionnaire and I'm not entirely sure what's going on here. The only possible thing that I can think of canonically is that he is shrinking Violet's boyfriend. Well, that's, that's probably why maybe he's hanging around waiting for their ship to get back. Cause there is a point where, um, they're like, Oh, the ship is back. And maybe yes. he's waiting so that they can go on one of their little shrinking vacations that we've seen before. Possible. But what ends up happening is that the ship is, oh, no, it's a giant radioactive person thing. Yeah. So apparently That's- while they're they're trapping one of these dragons, uh, Colossal Boy is like, oh, instead of harvesting these scales one at a time, how about I take my giant space crowbar and bash a whole <laughs> bunch of them off at once? And Shrinking Violet's like, are you insane? These, this yeah. is radioactive. You bang the rocks together. Don't bang the rocks together. And so Can it explodes. And Jim's response to, hey, let's go and gather some <laughs> uh, alien scales being, I'm going to hit it really hard. <laughs> is, is just so, like... so Colossal Boy, Shrinking Violet, Saturn Girl, and Lightning, Lightning Lad. Lad all get fused in together into one giant, again, a big old mass of hair, kind of like the, uh, the crown that the infinite man wields, uh, which, you know, this costume and this creature looks pretty cool in the comic. The costume is pretty neat because it, I mean, it combines thematic elements of all four costumes. Mm-hmm. So it has Saturn girls, you know, pointy boots and it has lightning lads, lightning symbol over one arm and colossal boys, uh, chest harness as like a splitting element. Mm-hmm. And it takes all of their symbols and kind of combines them. It looks really kind of neat. And of course has, you know, four color hair since everybody mm-hmm. in the, uh, thing had different colors of hair. You get a little red, a little blonde, a little dark. It's, it's kind of neat. If only the story didn't suck. Yeah. And it gets really weird because then it makes no sense. Why does the composite Legionnaire come back to earth and start wrecking havoc on a uh, metropolis? Uh, why? I mean, I guess it's because a colossal boy, but his size varies widely from panel to panel. Uh, yep. They're finally able to, to take him down with the help of this uh, character, the bounty hunter who just says yep. dead or alive. Doesn't mean I got to bring him in live. 
And I'm really surprised, number one, because this is also right around the same time that the Punisher is um, is on yeah. the scene. The Punisher yeah. would have showed up in 75. So, yeah, yeah, this would have been. And so here's DC's response is the is this bounty. He's called the bounty hunter. He's and, bounty. And it's just so dumb. Um, yes, well, everybody's would have been too obvious. So they went with bounty. Yes. Uh, so he's trying to do things. Everybody's trying to stop it. And finally, they're able to undo the process and get the composite persons to return. Blah, 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 blah. Kablooey kablammy. President Kandrew and or Kandro Boltax makes an appearance in his dark skinned, long white beard Moses phase. Oh, you know why this is? We question this. Yes. Several episodes ago. And DC said, hey, man, he's not president for life. This is a different person. There was an election. And that's why this person looks different. Yeah. Unfortunately, they later retconned that away. Who's who in the Legion number three treats Kendrew and Kendro as one man yeah. who was uh, elected after the Universo debacle and who doesn't leave office until Marta Allen becomes the president down the line. Yeah. So I think it's either a changed premise or literally they, you know, honestly, we have a legionnaire in this book who isn't a legionnaire. So I'm not going to argue too much about who is or isn't the president. Oh, yeah. There are bigger fish to fry, but man. Well, at one point, bounty is like the only way that I can get a quicker picker upper reward is to shoot this nuclear bomb right at the composite legionnaire and take him down. And of course, sub nuclear air to air sensor controlled proximity missile. And of course, Superboy stops it. And then they take out bounty and say, you do know that nuclear bombs have been, uh, you know, outlawed on earth. And the use of them is, is illegal. And you're going to jail, which makes me think, uh, look at all the, the supers that have nuclear type energies, especially wildfire. Right. Why is he allowed on Earth? Uh, and in fact, Wildfire may have uh, made ultimate sacrifice. Yep, because the composite Legionnaire is broken apart by an atomic explosion of the anti-energy within Wildfire's suit. And it doesn't look like he attacks so much as they throw him. <laughs> no, it's, it's right. Like, just throw just me, drop me. Super just boy. drop me. As we fly over, drop me like a bomb. And it's like, well, you could just fly into him, right? I mean, why do you have to be thrown by by uh, uh, Superboy? And who's the other one throwing him in? Is that... Superboy uh, and uh, I want to... That's not Mon-El, is it? Because oh, he doesn't make that's an... that's Duplicate Boy. Oh, Duplicate Boy, right. Yeah. Now, Duplicate Boy is not particularly bright, but he is remarkably powerful. Well, yeah, because he can duplicate any powers, including one would assume Wildfire. So you could even sacrifice Wildfire, but that would, of course, make uh, Shrinking Violet a little upset. But whatever. Yeah, it happens. But and we we end the issue with everybody back to normal, except for Wildfire, who may be dead because Superboy is I like, think... my God, I think he's dying. Ask me about this cliffhanger. Will it be resolved next issue? No. Oh, great. This cliffhanger is bad, y'all. And the thing, mm, you know, it's really weird. Well, so again, the problem with this issue. So here's the thing. Um, Mm -hmm. One of the things that's missing again in this issue, we got Rick Estrada, all that cool stuff with wildfires, reflections, you know, and the people around him gone in this issue. It's just a black visor, right? Yeah. The whole bad cliffhanger, bad writing, bad contrived plot. Mm -hmm. Not Paul Levitz. This is Jerry Conway. Yeah, and Conway, I like Conway in certain situations. I don't like Conway on the Legion, and I don't know. This is one of the first Legion stories that I can remember reading and just going, wow, 
And I don't know when or where, but I know I bought this book and went, I don't think I'm going to like this Legion thing because this issue is just not good. And even with, you know, the, the positive aspects of it that we've shown, there are bits of it that are pretty cool, but oh I God, mean, this may be my least favorite Legion issue to date. I don't know if I would go that far. Uh, I think that the story is not really well done. I think it is. Hey, composite Superman from 1968 worked really well. Let's try it with the Legion. Uh, I think this is a kind of a slap together story that wasn't thought out. Well, the motivations of the characters aren't there. And I think with all the effort that was going into uh, Sherman and Levitt's story from 233, they needed to have somebody else working on 234. And it just happened to not be a good combination. Not that yeah. Jerry Conway is a bad writer or that Rick Estrada is a bad artist, because by themselves, we've seen them do some really amazing work. But together in this issue, yeah. it, it really well, falls flat. Jerry left Marvel uh, and the Spider-Man, where he was, I feel, one of the stronger Spider-Man writers, especially of the 70s, mm -hmm. and then came to DC, and it just kind of felt like he never, to me, got his feet underneath him. Yeah. Uh, at least in the 70s. I would say that his later run on Firestorm, and then when he takes over JLA and brings in Firestorm to the JLA, I feel like Jerry knows what he's doing in the DC universe. But at this point, this whole issue just kind of feels like like the almost the editorial. And it is a new editor. So, you know, we're no longer under the editing of um, Archie Goodwin. We have a new editor. And I'm just, boy, boy. Yeah. I, I don't want to say anybody's awful because these are professionals. You have good days. You have bad days. They can't all be gems. I get all of that. There's a really beautiful princess projector shot in this issue. Okay. But man, I just, I did not like this issue. I, eh. Yeah, it's, it's one of those that you can easily forget. Still better than Karate Kid. We have reached the end of another Legion Clubhouse. Matthew, what have we learned this week? We learned that if you're accidentally combined with three of your friends in space, for some reason, you'll get one of the squinty Popeye things going on. We did learn that time is a flat circle. And we learned that Bounty always gets his man, just like Klondike Cat. That wraps it up for this installment. Thank you so much for downloading and checking us out this week. We really appreciate everyone who listens, everyone who comments, everyone who reaches out to us, and also everyone who is a patron over at patreon.com slash major spoilers. Your help is greatly appreciated so we can continue this show far into the future. We will be back with another Legion Clubhouse episode in the near future. But until then, I'm Angry McAngry Man. And I'm the composted Legionnaire. The Legion Clubhouse is a production of Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC, and is produced by Steven Schleicher. Your hosts were Matthew Peterson and Steven Schleicher. You can follow Matthew at Mighty King Cobra and Steven at Major Spoilers. You can follow this podcast on Twitter at Legion Clubhouse. If you have questions or comments, send them to podcast at Majorspoilers.com. I'm Jason Inman. Until next time, eat it, Grandpa. This podcast is copyright 2020 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. 
Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware.